You ever tried to untangle a knotted fishing pole? Your little nephew casts his Zebco, doesn't let off the cast button, and there's a nest in three seconds that ten squirrels couldn't build over a, an entire winter. You first look at that ball of filament that's, that's there, and it seems like a hopeless mess, and your instinct is just cut the line. I mean, but as you start working and you trace each twist and loop, it slowly begins to untangle. That, that's how I feel about Romans 7. You read it once and say, let's get the scissors out and retie this baby about Romans 8.1 and get on with no condemnation. As you slowly walk through it, verse by verse, you begin to see how the arguments connect to one another and you realize it's not as hard as you thought. That's surely true of the verse that we are going to look at today. Paul says in verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. You, you read that and you say, Paul, I've been following you since chapter 1. <laughs> I mean, what about chapter 3 that described the condition of all people sold under sin? spent this time of quoting the Psalms about how there's none good, not, no, not one. And we're even like a, throats are like an open grave. Or, or chapter 5, Paul, whenever you said, therefore, just as through one man sin, in, it, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. I mean, I was, I was paying attention, Paul. What do you mean you were alive at one point in your, in your life? Or chapter 6. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what do you mean that sin came alive? I thought I was to consider myself dead to sin. Well, that's the knot we get to untie today. And, and when we do, I, I think you're going to see, not only is it perfectly understandable, but, but it's likely one of the most powerful verses in this whole chapter. Paul's explaining in chapter 7 why God's law was not his final plan, God's final plan, and his great work of redemption. It, it cannot save and it cannot sanctify, but, but therefore something else had to come. He gave a summary about that change in verse 4. Let's be with verse 4. He says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And then he went on to explain further what he meant by that in verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear the fruit of death. That that's why the law could not do the work that, it was, that was needed. When it was combined with our fallen nature, the only thing it produced was rotten fruit. The law was from God. The law was like God. It's holy, it's righteous, and good. But as an outward legal code, it, it has no power to change the internal rebellion and the sin that's ruling in us. I mean, knowing that, God never intended His law to be the way that He saved people. That's what He says in verse 6. But now, we have been released from the law, having died to that, by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. God's old covenant, represented by the law, was always supposed to give way to the new covenant that triumphs through the Spirit. That's what Paul's been declaring in the gospel. It's what he's been declaring in Romans up to this point. The new covenant has come. 
in chapter 7, he's explaining how this trans transfer, this change took place and why. And we're right in, the uh, right in the middle of Paul's three explanations that he's giving in this chapter. We're in part two where he defends the virtue of the, of the law and then we'll go to how he describes that worked out in, in life. And after explaining how our relationship to the law has changed, he immediately defends the law's honor and, and explains the law's intended work. He, he emphatically says in verses 7 through 12, the law is not sin, not the originator of sin, but it does have a specific work when it comes in contact with, with, with sinners. And he describes that as three virtuous works that the law performs in, in sinners. He says its work is to reveal sin, it revs up sin, and it also, as we'll see today, helps us recognize sin's power. It helps us see what we're truly dealing with. The first virtuous work that the law performs is it reveals sin to us and in us. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul says, don't blame the law. It's not responsible for sin. But it does reveal sin to us and reveal sin in us, as we saw. I mean, the law reveals God's righteous standard, and by it, we're able to see how, how short we fall. Without the law, we can't see what is holiness, what is righteousness and goodness. But when it does come, when you look into the mirror of the law, we, we see all those things in living color, but it has no power to change us. It only helps us see sin in general and reveals sin in me. Paul uses a word we, we said here that for how the law showed him his corrupt desires as well as the line that he should not cross. It, it showed him the speed limit sign, but also pointed out the desire that he had to break it. I mean, the law not only shows us our outward failings, but our inward iniquity as, as well. I mean, he, he says because of sin in us, the law acts like an MRI. It shows us our moral bones that are broken. But the law is not the orthopedist that can fix you. That's the work of the law. It reveals sin internally and also, not, not just hypothetically, I should say. The second work is that the law actually revs up sin, verse 8. But sin, that's the problem. Sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead or it lies dormant. So verse 8 elaborates on what he said at the end of verse 7. He says, the law helped me see the true nature of my desires. It helped me see my, my coveting and, and how truly corrupt my desires actually are. But, but it did something more than that. It actually pro provided an opportunity for more sin. And Paul said the law, the law is like a launching pad for sin. Or, or like a, that, a long cheater pipe that you, you slip onto the end of a short wrench so you can get more torque. Sin is a power, and it seizes the opportunity of the, of the commandment and uses the law to produce every kind of illicit desire you can imagine. It, it stirs that up in you. In fact, without the law, Paul says, sin lies dead, it, it, meaning it's real power. It's there, but, but, the, but, the, but the full potency of sin lies, lies dormant. It's not awakened. The law doesn't take away sin. 
It acts like a shot of, of, of nitro to, to its engine. He, he says the, the more specific the law is, the more it reveals what we're doing, and then the more it stirs up sin, which then exerts greater evil influence and increases sinful desires. How strong is it? it it's so strong it uses God's holy law to its advantage. Doing all of that, doing that work, revealing sin to us and in us and stirring that up actually helps us recognize the real power and therefore our need, which is what we see today, this third virtuous work that the law performs. Is it helps us recognize the true power of sin. Do we need help recognizing the true power of sin? You better believe we do. We, we don't think that it's as bad as it really is. We, we, we're not aware of what's lurking in our hearts. Look at verse 9. Paul says, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proves to result death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So to explain how sin and the law interacts, how, how this happens you know, inside of a person, Paul says, let me take you on a trip down memory lane into my pre-conversion life. Let me explain it to you that way, Paul said. The last part of verse 8 starts a series of clauses that Paul uses to explain the way the, the law is used by sin. And, and he says, apart from the law, sin lies dead. And then he says, let me show you what I mean from my own life. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. This is a personal testimony concerning what he just got done saying. In verse 9 is an analysis of the facts that he gave us. Ones that he gave us in verses 7 and 8. I mean, up to this point, Paul's been stating truths and and, and now he analyzes what, what he says. And he considers it from a personal standpoint. He says, this is clearly what happened to me. What I'm just describing, this is what happened to me. This is how it happened. And he divides his testimony into two time periods. First, he says, when he was apart from the law, and then when the commandment came. Do you, do you see that? Look, look at verse 9. He says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, there's, there's the first part and the second part. When the commandment came, sin became alive and I, and I died. He, he describes here before conversion, and then he turns to after conviction. I was once alive apart from the law. Those were the B.C. days, you could say. And what was happening in him on a personal level, this is what he was experiencing. And then he turns the corner and says, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And then he describes the coming of the law to his conscience. How the law had done this work in him. That he just described to us. When the Holy Spirit used it to awaken him. The first part of verse 9 is what he was like before the law arrested him. The second half is an analysis of what it was like when the law exposed him. And Paul thinks back to his days as a Pharisee and a law keeper, and, and he describes how he fell under conviction. He looks back and he says, Before the law showed me my sin, I was alive. And sin was dead. It, its true power lied dor uh, lay dormant. But after the fullness of the law came to me, sin became alive, woke up. Because of that, I died. 
And the key to seeing that, to seeing that, that understanding, that interpretation, comes as you answer the question, what exactly does Paul mean by without the law? And if you read any commentaries on Romans 7, there are many ideas about what that implies. And quite frankly, when you're done reading them, it looks like a five-year-old cast on an open face reel, not on a, not on a Zebco. I mean, it is a ball of confusion. And if you want to answer this one question, and you do, then the fishing line will start to loosen and you can see how to unravel it. I mean, some come to this verse and they see these statements that Paul says about being alive and being dead and they get tripped up there. They say, well, Paul clearly said that all people are born dead in their sin. This must be talking about somebody other than Paul, like Israel or Adam. There's a good answer. Maybe it's Adam. And if Paul means life and death here theologically, like the way that he uses it before, then, then it's true. Adam is the only one who can meet that definition. I mean, Adam and Eve were the only two human beings other than Jesus who were born or were created without a sin nature. They, they were alive spiritually before they sinned. The problem with that interpretation is Paul hasn't mentioned Adam, Paul hasn't mentioned Israel, and he clearly says, I. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. There's never a good interpretive practice to go outside of the text for an answer when one is so plainly located right within the text. Paul plainly says, this is what I experienced. It's also never good to make something more complicated in order to try to answer a question that you can't figure out. I mean, if you have to do exegetical gymnastics for your conclusion to make sense, it's probably a good sign that it's not a good one. I mean, there are passages that are harder to understand that, that don't yield their treasure at the first whack of the hammer on the lock. I mean, you have to beat on the door. But the Bible is God's Word to us. It was written to be understood. It's not just for the eggheads. It's for you, and it's for me. It's, it's just the... the, the, the Theologians call the perspicuity of Scripture, which, which means that the Bible is clear, it's understandable. It's not some mystery book like, like a Hindu writing or like some of the other world religions. It's God's Word to you. It's, it's His story to you. And, and so if you need Adam to make your interpretation work, then maybe you should consider if your assumption of those two words are, is wrong. And if you do that, the passage makes perfect sense. Being alive doesn't have a theological meaning here like before. I mean, Paul's talking about what happened to him experientially. Clearly, it says it's him, and it's what he experienced. He's not talking about life the way that he was before. And you can see that because Paul is talking about the effect of the law. How did I feel, or, or what was going on within me? The effect of the law in the heart of a sinner... He's not talking about our standing before God using these words. He's talking about how the law reveals sin, how the law stirs up sin, and how, what he perceived before the law actually did that work. I mean, without the precision that comes through the law, sin was there, but it wasn't particular. And Paul says, I, I was not able to see sin on a desire level. I thought I was a pretty good guy. I was unable to see how utterly sinful I really was. I thought I was alive. I believed myself to be alive. 
And then the law came in and stirred up in me what was already there. And once it got stirred up, I realized what I was dealing with and how condemned I really was. And I died. Sin came to life. Means exactly what he just got done saying. He became aware of it and it stirred up its power, which led to more sin. And the key to that is this time frame that he's pointing to when he says he was apart from the law. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the the law. I mean, the word once means sometime or another in the past. Sometime or another in the past, I was alive apart from the law. Paul surely doesn't mean that there was a time in the past whenever there was no law. The law didn't exist at some point in in the past. Or a moment whenever he didn't have the law. Because there's always been law ever since the creation of the world. I mean, Lloyd-Jones says there has never been a time in history of the human race when mankind has been without law completely. We saw that a few Sundays ago. Adam and Eve had law, even had law in the garden. That's what Adam broke when he ate from the forbidden tree. And Romans 5 even tells us that, that sin reigned from Adam to Moses. So we were held accountable to something. Or until the law, that's the Mosaic law, sin was in the world. From the garden up to Moses. But sin was just not credited to your account in the same way. But sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. It was a type of him who was to come. Sin was there even before the Mosaic law. This is Paul talking. I mean, Paul lived after Moses. Paul knew the law very well. He was a Jew, raised as a Pharisee. Some would say, well, this must mean before Paul's bar mitzvah. This is when he became accountable to to the law. Leon Morris said, it's hard to understand how a Jewish boy from a pious family could ever be apart from the law. Because of his his earliest days, he, he, he would have had some instruction in it. What exactly does he mean here? This is Paul's personal experience of when the law did its work in him that he just described. Remember, verse 9 is an analysis of what he just got done saying. It's part of the context. You read it all together. Start start back in verse 7. On the contrary, Paul says, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And there's the key. Paul surely knew the Tenth Commandment as a Jew, even as a Jewish boy. But there was a moment when it revealed the true nature of sin to him and in him. Before that happened, he was apart from Apart from that work. That was the law's work. And when that happened, it stirred up more sin, which is also the law's work. And being apart from that work of the law, sin lies dormant. Its full power is dead. Paul is saying, there was a time when I knew the law, but it had not done its work in me. I was apart from that work. I knew the words of the law, but not its true intent. I knew the tenth, what the Tenth Commandment said, but not the depth of it. 
And when that was the case, I was apart from the law. I was apart from its exposing work. I was apart from its, its work of stirring me up. Let me give you a really good example that will probably help you understand what, what Paul's saying here uh, that, that I heard. Uh, this is something that you've actually experienced many times before, what Paul's describing here, not just in salvation. I mean, how many times have you read the Bible or a passage of Scripture and then you hear someone preach on it or you read it again yourself and you see something that you've never seen before? You say, wow, I've read that verse a thousand times and I never really understood it. You ever had that? Before that moment, you weren't without the Bible. You had it right in front of you. You, you. you even read the verse, but you didn't fully understand it. And so it didn't have the ability to do its full work. And that's what Paul's saying here. He knew the law. He was brought up under the law as a Jew. But there was a point in time whenever he never really understood it. And that was until the Spirit of God opened his eyes. And then the law did that work. And whenever that happened, the law arrested him. And he saw he was condemned. He just simply means he'd not realized how, how deep the law penetrated. I mean, he had it. He, he, he knew it had a sharp pointy end, but he didn't realize how long the blade was, how sharp the blade was. He hadn't fallen under conviction. It had not run him through yet. And if that's true, if the Apostle Paul raises the Jew, the Pharisee of Pharisees, think of what that means for you this morning. That means you could be sitting under truth your whole life and even have a Bible in your lap and never see it, never get it. You could be like Paul. You think you see it, but you don't. That is, until the Holy Spirit comes and opens your eyes one, one day and then the gospel comes to life. Before the gospel comes to life, you have to die. And when the gospel comes to life with enlightenment and understanding, that's how you know, that's how you know you get it. It's not just dead words on the page. It's not just information to you that you're, that you're considering. It's alive. It convicts you of sin. It gives you hope. It draws you near to Christ. It's living. It's active. Those are the spiritual works of the, the Word of God, which is what Hebrews says. For the Word of God is living and active. Not just information. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It means it goes right down into the very core of you. It doesn't stay on the outside. It puts its finger right on your heart. It's able to judge or discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It reveals the true intentions of your heart. And when it does that, you thought you were alive before, you're dead. You're arrested. Condemned. And then it also brings you face to face with Christ. First John. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now is already in the world. Any preaching, Bible study, understanding you have that doesn't show you Jesus Christ and all of His splendor and glory is not doing its job. It's not enough to show you how condemned you are. That's the bad news. Biblical preaching shows you the good news too. It doesn't leave you there, praise God. 
The Bible is to show us Christ, who He is, who we are, what He's done for us. And it's possible to read it, know it, and miss all of that. Miss the whole point. Think you're alive and you're not. And Paul's describing his unsaved state to begin with. But then what happened when the Holy Spirit convicted him? Look at verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Paul said before that understanding came, I believed myself alive. Was he? Was he spiritually alive? No. He was dead in his sin theologically, like every sinner, but experientially. Paul thought he was a pretty good guy. In fact, Paul thought he, he Paul believed he was serving God. He was persecuting God's very people. But he believed that he was actually serving the Lord. You remember the words of Jesus on the road to, to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what was Saul's words? Who are you, Lord? I mean, he's clueless to what he's doing. Leon Morris said, think of how Paul describes himself before, before the law does this work in Philippians 3. He, he describes himself as blameless in regards to the righteousness of the law. I'm blameless. He said he's like the rich young ruler in Luke 18, 21, who said, all these things I, I've kept as, since I was a boy. I'm blameless. I'm alive. I'm a good guy. I'm doing God's work. I'm right with God. Or maybe like any other unsaved person who, who has an awareness of sin, but no awareness of its offense toward, toward, toward God. I mean, this man knows sin is there, but he lacks remorse. He doesn't realize how serious it is. Now, the great apostle was similar to many Jews today who don't understand or think that they have a sin nature. As far as they're concerned, they know about sin, but that's not something they do. To them, it's dead. The power of sin was there. Paul didn't realize it. And he was a man, like a man traveling with a bottle of nitroglycerin, going over the bumpy hills of life. He had no idea that what was within him could blow him up at any minute. He was like a man with a stick of dynamite in his backpack with a fuse hanging out, running through the Matt's Creek forest fire. He has no idea that at any moment that fuse could be lit. He's like a child carrying around a cobra in his pocket. He had no idea that, that the venom that that snake had to kill him. Paul says, when I was like that, I was alive. It was what I thought about my own condition. He's talking relatively speaking. He thanked God that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He believed himself to be a good and righteous man. You know, Paul talks about this exact same place in, in another epistle. It's, it's actually in, in 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy. Paul talks about the same thing that he does right here, the same period of time, how this works, how this happens to him. Paul writes to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting, him, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly, was unaware, and in unbelief. This is right after Paul tells Timothy that the law is good if it's used properly. How do you use the law? What, 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 how is the good work of the law used or done? He says, 
it's, it's for those who are lawless, rebellious, and for the ungodly sinner, because it then shows them sin to them and, and in them. And he thanks God for that work that God did in him. And then he put him into ministry. He says, even though he was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Do you think when Paul was running around with that piece of paper to arrest Christians, he thought he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor? He didn't have any idea. That's what he says in this verse. Why is the law for sinners? Because he can do this work of exposing sin to them and in them. But before that happens, they sin in ignorance and unbelief. They're aware of sin, but they don't realize the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of, of how sin is in them. And they're like, Paul, he was acting, and yet he was unaware. This appears exactly what he's describing here in, in Romans 7. He says, while I was ignorant, before the law did its full work, I believed I was alive. I was living life and doing what I thought was even pleasing to God. The things that I now see were actually blasphemous and were attacking God's very work. He did those things until he saw the spiritual character of the law and the Holy Spirit slayed him through it. It's like you were before you came to Christ. If you came later in life like, like me, you, you enjoyed sinful things. You weren't even sorry that you did them. Well, you, you might not have even thought about them. You might even thought, what's the big deal? Except maybe whenever they cause you problems, you're going to get caught doing something or some difficulty in life. But you surely weren't thinking about, about sin in relationship to God. But then someone brought you in contact with, with the Lord and what He said, and then you saw how big of a deal it actually was. I mean, this kind of person was living, even, even though they're alive. They're living as if they're alive, even though they were dead. This is what 1 Timothy 5, verse 6 talks about the immoral woman. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead while she liveth. She's dead while, even while she lives. And the change happened when the commandment came, Paul says. Then it revealed to Paul what he truly was. Look at verse 9. I was once alive, point in my past, whenever I was alive apart from the law, sin had not awakened in me. But... When the commandment came, sin became alive. Sin woke up, and I died. I mean, Paul now turns to the moment. That he became aware of his sin. This is after conviction. And he says it's when the commandment came. And again, it wasn't that there was no commandment around. It was, a, it was the moment he, he saw it clearly. The idea is when the commandment became real to me. Calvin said it. It's when it became truly understood by the Apostle Paul. That's the work that God does. And He does it through the Word. Look at John 17. What Jesus says to His disciples before He leaves, He says, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, it's the Holy Spirit, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you, and He when He comes, will convict you, convince you. Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that does that work and uses the law to do it. The Bible is called the sword of the Spirit. It's what the Spirit wields to do His work. And there's a moment 
when God shows you what you really are, in a moment when you realize your condition, and then you realize you're undone, and when that happens, you know it. That's what Paul's talking about here. When the commandment came, this is what I realized. When you see God and you see your sin, you get weak in the knees. You tremble before a righteous and holy God. It's not just about doing wrong stuff. It's about who you did it to. You have a conscience as an unsaved person. And it functions. I mean, you feel guilty when you do wrong. You, you justify yourself whenever you do, when you think you do right. But, but it, it just kind of runs in the background. The conscience, before you're saved, before the Spirit of God takes it with the Word. And uses it for His converting purposes. Before then, the conscience just kind of runs in the background like an app. It's doing its thing, and you're not even aware it's really there. But then there's this moment whenever it's shaken, awake by the law of God. The light comes on. And then your conscience becomes so sharp and so clear, it condemns you at every corner. That's when it becomes alive. When it, when it comes alive, it convicts you in fullness and clarity in a way like never before. I once heard of a man who was invited to a series of evangelistic meetings. It was back in the mid-1900s. Back in the, the days when they used to do them outside of the tent, 80 years ago, he refused many invitations, wanting nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christ. But walking home at, at some point during these extended meetings, you probably remember those days or you read about them where it would go on for weeks and it would be every night and try to bring people to come to hear about Christ some point during those extended meetings, he had to pass by in the same direction of the, of the tent within an earshot. And as he walked by, he overheard the preacher through the tent wall. And he fell under such conviction. He was drawn into the tent and listening intently. He gave his life to Christ by the end of the, of the night. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's mysterious at, at some times. It's a work that can happen at any moment. It's a work that can happen when you least expect it. I mean, you've probably been there where you're witnessing to two people and you're talking to this one right here and you're intently sharing the gospel with them and this person over here, you're not even talking to and they're the ones that get saved. The work of conviction is like the wind. In John 3, you know not where it came from or, or where it goes, but Paul tells us clearly what will be involved whenever it, it happens. You think that you're alive. You think you're a pretty good person until the commandment comes and actually does its work. And the law will come and show you your sin. And when it does, sin awakens in you. You die. Verse 9. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. I mean, Paul is saying there was a time in my life when I didn't see that, I didn't understand that, and then there was a moment whenever God showed me. And when he did, I was condemned. I want you to notice there were two results when that happened. That's what he says. When the commandment came... But when the commandment came, he's talking about a completely different period of time in his life. What were the two results when the commandment came? Sin became alive and I died. And I think if you read the rest of Romans 7 and you hear how Paul ends this chapter when he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I think he means here sin awakened and I died. Oh, I died a thousand deaths. <laughs> I saw what I really was. 
Paul now describes what that awareness or, an, or awakening was like. Sin woke up in him. He was not aware of sin's real power before. It was there, just not at full throttle. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, I, I got a new dirt bike. And it was different from all the ones that I'd had uh, before. I mean, I got my first one when I was at age five, and I rode it everywhere, and then got another one, and I worked my way up. This one, this one had some real power. My dad and the guy that we bought it from warned me. And so I was putting around in the yard to get used to it. And, and then I took it over to my friend's house. And I thought, this thing doesn't seem that bad. And the first thing I did was I took, up, took off up the hill where I would normally ride and went over a jump. And I cracked the throttle just like I'd done on my other one. And this thing rose up like a bottle rocket and left me on my butt in the dirt. I mean, it happened so fast I didn't even know what happened. Also, sin was like that dirt bike. Before, it had a governor on it. When the law came in, it provided the twist of the throttle and it awakened its power. Exactly what Paul means, don't you? You can think of yourself, you have pretty good self-control. Or you can think, I'm not an angry person. I mean, I get angry every now and then, but but I, I can control it for the most part. And That is until the right person crosses your path. There's a flash fire that burns you up and everybody else around you. You you can think that you're a pretty humble person. That is until the precise mix of circumstances come along and it lifts you up and then pride pours forth in such a way that you weren't even aware of before. I'm a pretty faithful woman. That is until the right circumstances of habitual neglect and the right man who pays attention to you comes along and then temptation comes like like never before. That's what Paul's saying about sin here. Just like how the, the law was there, but, but unknown in its full extent, sin was there, but its full potency had not been tasted by the Apostle Paul. Not only did it, did it show him it was there, he realized the power of it. He realized exactly what he was dealing with. And when that happened, he was arrested and condemned to death in his own conscience. When the commandment came in, sin became alive, and I died. Paul says when the commandment came to him, it was no longer possible to overlook sin's existence. It was no longer possible to think I was a righteous man or a good man. Here's the second work in in conviction. First, the first work of, of, of conviction is the Spirit convinces you that you're a sinner. And then He shows you what that means. It means that you're undone. It means that you're dead. And the third work is he shows you Christ, the one who can cover you. The Spirit convinces you you're a sinner. The Spirit convinces you that you're going to be judged by God. There's no way out. And then the Spirit points you to Christ, who is your hope. Leon Morris said, When the commandment came, it killed forever the proud Pharisee, thanking God that he was not as other men and sure of his merit before God. It kills off the happy sinner, for it shows him the seriousness, not so much of sin in general as of his own sin. And when sin's power is recognized by the law, it's the death of self-confidence, self-righteousness. Lord Jones says, 
you, you want to see an example of this? Just look at the Pharisees. I mean, they were good and righteous men externally. I mean, it wasn't that the Pharisees didn't do righteous things. I mean, they did what they were supposed to do and more, but it wasn't until they came in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ that you got to see who and what they really were. That's when their true nature came out. When they were confronted with His teaching, when they heard the teaching of the Lord, they went wild and they hated Him. It stirred up in them what was actually there, and they plotted to kill Him, and they eventually did. Paul says it's the same to me, and it's the same to you. You can look like a pretty moral person, a good person, and think, think that you are for certain. You might not do anything outwardly bad or, or morally wrong, but, but then you see what the Bible says. You see the law. How do you respond then? What happens in you then? What happens when you come in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ? What happens when you come in contact with His, with His Word that says you're a sinner and you can only be saved by, by grace alone, that He alone is righteous? How does your heart respond then to the message of the gospel? I mean, if your heart responds, oh yes, I need that, oh God, I need that, then I'm dead without that, then that's right, that's good, there's hope for you. But if your heart says, well, well that's nice, I'm happy to add a little bit myself. Or your heart says, oh yes, but I know I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Then you're a dead man walking. Or Paul's phrase, you're a, you're a dead man living. You're a dead person thinking you're alive, and you're not. B.R. Lakin said that's how you know the sheep from the goats. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice, and the goats are always budding. I am, yes, I'm a sinner, but... Yes, I know the Bible, what the Bible says, but, yes, I need Jesus, but, and he said, you're going to butt your way right into hell. You see, it's when you come into contact with the pure message of grace, the clarity of the law, when, when, when you come in contact with salvation offered freely in Christ alone, that's when the real you comes out. The Bible exposes you. The gospel of grace exposes you. No, I want to do some. And listening to it shows you what you really believe about yourself and about God. And all of that springs to life whenever you're confronted with it. You slam into, against the, into the wall of truth. And you either fall on your knees in humility and cry out to God, or you, you're dashed on the rocks. It hardens you. That's what Paul's saying about the law. The law confronted him, and sin sprang to life. And when that happened, he died. He died. Can I give you some good news? Jesus Christ raises dead people. People that realize how dead they really are. He doesn't save the righteous. He came to save sinners. He came to save people that realize what the Apostle Paul realized here. Turn over to Ephesians 2. We'll end here. It's another epistle from Paul, one that you you know well. But in the shadow of what you just heard from Romans 7, listen afresh. Verse 1, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That was your condition. But you were living. You thought you were alive. In which you formerly walked. You lived. According to the course of this world. You are living according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. 
the spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived. We were alive and we were living in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind. And yet we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I was dead, but I was living as I was alive, and I didn't even know it. Verse 4. But God. God's the one who's allowed to butt in the Bible. You should be glad that He does. That's how He changes goats to sheep. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. True life. Spiritual life. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? What was the result? So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He might put His grace on display. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no man can boast. The law has to do its work so you won't boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, we would live in them. I mean, Christ made us alive. Christ raised us up. He seated us in heavenly places. Those are the three verbs there, what He does. He makes us alive. He raises us up. He seats us in heavenly places. Then He gives us good works to do. And one of those works is to help other people who think they're alive see that they're actually dead. Can you think of anything more enjoyable than being hungry and someone feeding you, and then once you're full, you get to tell other hungry people where they can eat to? That's what you get to do for other sinners like yourself. What a joy. And this day, whenever Paul understood, the day that the law helped him see is what he's describing here in Romans 7, when the conscience slammed against the moral law and it sin woke up, darkened eyes were then able to see, and what they see arrested him, arrests us. And in that moment, Paul says, I was not thinking how alive I was or how good I was. I was looking for someone to cover me or something to cover me. And when, whenever that happened, the Holy Spirit pointed me to the gospel and showed me the robes of righteousness offered. You see, the Lord has to show you how dirty and naked you actually are. But then after He does that, He he points you to the blood of Christ that can cleanse you from every sin. And then He puts the robes of righteousness of Jesus Christ on you and a ring on your finger. And He no longer calls you a sinner, but a saint. What a great work that the law does. It's painful. It's necessary. Until you see that, You'll never fully understand the gospel or what God's done for you in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you do that work. It's a work that we have no control over. We can't manipulate it in any way. The wind blows, comes, light shines. And while we have no control over it, you have given us the tools, the means. We're just to do what we are commanded to do, Lord. And tell others what happened to us. 
and then share to, with them the truth from the Bible and the gospel. And you'll do that work. Thank you, Lord, for doing that work in us. Thank you that you showed us, not in our own understanding, but in reality, what we truly were. And then you quickly pointed us to Christ and showed us how we could be covered and cleansed. It's in his name I pray. Amen.